So I'm hiding from my three children, trying to find a quiet place to tell you about this week's Where Did It All Go Right? I think one's doing glitter. Bad idea. Uh, The other one's doing some beads and the other one's on a computer. So uh, hopefully they'll give me some time to tell you about my next guest, who has an imagination that brings joy to many people's lives. Neil Cameron is a cartoonist and writer whose work you can see in the Phoenix comic. And he's the author of the Mega Robo Bros books. And I sat down with him and his cat at his table at home. So we're sitting on a very cold day. This is your area of design work I imagine it's like a there's drawings everywhere there's DVDs everywhere there's CDs everywhere is this your inspirational place well no this is more my son's uh, this is his workstation I'd say <laughs> where's we, your workstation um, it's upstairs I've got a studio upstairs it probably looks much the same actually but no this is we'll come downstairs at six o'clock in the morning and he'll just be sat there working on his latest comic or writing a novel or designing a game or writing a choose your own adventure book were you productive at the same age I think I was yeah I think I was somewhat similar I don't know if I was anywhere near as um, prolific yes. as my son. He's he's slightly terrifying. He's got a lot of uh, ideas and very happy to get up absurdly early in the morning and work on them, which um, is, I don't think was ever quite my... So he's got a good work um, ethic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for this one specific thing, yeah, not necessarily for work. But uh, yeah. but for you, were you always doodling and, and drawing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, that was me as a kid, for sure. And reading comics? And reading comics, yeah, absolutely. I, I loved comics when I was a kid. Which and, comics? Um, well, I think it was easier to love comics when I was a kid because there were more comics around. I, I was fortunate in a way. I grew up next door to a newsagent shop, like it was the other half of our semi-detached house. That's very convenient, so isn't it? So it was, could not have been more convenient. So it would be like first in on a Saturday morning, get the comics in. So you had your Beano and Buster, Whizzer and Chips, all that. The ones that really, really made me sort of fall in love with, I guess, were the more slightly more sort of actiony ones, mm. uh, Transformers uh, that you had back in the day, and then on to 2000 AD when I was a bit older, and yeah, just just completely loved it. That was you know Saturday mornings always been sort of my favourite time of the week because that was when you read comics and yeah. just sort of got to be off in your own world for a while, you know. So how on earth do you get from that being in your own world, reading them, and then? making it as a living and, and doing it for the Phoenix comic and get your books. How do you become... I just, I'm fascinated how it all happens. Well, it's, the comics is... One of the things that I think is great about comics and one of the things I sort of tell kids a lot when I when I go to schools is that the great thing about comics is that you can just sort of make them yourself and it's a very easy thing to start doing, you know, like lots of artistic disciplines can seem a bit off-putting, particularly when you're young, you know, you don't know how... You don't necessarily know how a big blockbuster movie gets made. You can't make a game until you learn to code. You can't sort of make amazing music until you learn the instrument. There's a lot of sort of hard work involved before you get to the sort of the awesome results. But comics, you can sort of pretty much dive in and start telling a story with pictures as soon as you can hold a pencil, you know, like... It may not objectively be (laughs) the most stunning piece of work, but in your head it sort of is because you can see the story you're telling. And and so I think even really young kids can make comics. And so, you know, I guess I was always doing that. Just never grew out of it, really. Um, (laughs) You never grew up. (laughs) No. It's it's just a gradual thing. Most comics artists I know did sort of begin by just making their own stuff um, and self-publishing and making like small press comics, um, just sort of making a few extra copies and seeing if anyone would buy them. And you sort of, you keep doing that and gradually you actually find a few readers and you find a few people who like your work. And obviously also by doing that, you improve, uh, hopefully. How how did it work for you then? You just kept doing it and then you found someone... 
Yeah, well, so I, I kept doing it. I, well, I did sort of make some sort of self-published small press comics in my younger days. And I think in my in my case, the self-belief wasn't necessarily there, but the love for it was just sort of so <laughs> immense <laughs> immense that I just sort of kept at it. And I would have frequent and sort of periodic crises of confidence. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is pointless. This is no one's ever going to... Um, and I'll sort of go away from it for a while. But I'd always come back to it, you know, because fundamentally that's it's just... What I really like doing, I like drawing, <laughs> drawing, and I like making up stories. And the confidence wasn't necessarily there, but the the love for it was. And eventually, yeah, I was lucky enough to find find a publisher who took a chance on me and saw potential, saw some potential. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Did you have like a core friends and family load of listeners who'd go, "Yeah, that, that's a really good one. I really like that." Or was it just you reading it on your own? When I first started, my brother was always quite supportive. <laughs> I think partly because you know when we were kids, you know that we would always share comics and swap comics, and always sort of part of our little our little shared universe. So he was always very supportive. Once I started attempting to self-publish work, you sort of can quite quickly start to find like-minded people out there in the world um, who are also doing the same thing and who can sort of give you feedback and encouragement or advice. And um, and this was you know this was a long time ago. Pre-Twitter, this is yeah. Well, I think so- it, it's a, in many ways it's a lot easier now because yeah. of uh, social media and the internet. In those days, it was sort of it, it was quite old school. You sort of made your little photocopied comic and you printed off. 25, 50 copies of it, whatever. And it was this really cheap sort of newsprinty magazine and you put your little tiny classified ad in asking people to send you, like... <laughs> you ask for a postal order and a self-addressed really envelope. complicated. Yeah, it was so complicated. It's amazing anyone ever did this. <laughs> and the few people who read it and were interested in, you know, other people's small press comics would send off, send you a cheque or a postal order and a little self-addressed envelope and you would send them a copy of your comic. And then maybe they would write a review of it in their tiny little fanzine or, you know, maybe they would ask if you wanted to work together on something. You know, it was a, it was a tiny, tiny, but, but when that quite order- supportive little... Oh, yeah, it, yeah. When the order came in, it's just like Christmas, isn't it? When a stranger sent you a postal order for £2.50 and you weren't quite sure what to do with a postal order and you had to tell them to the post office and say, do you know what I'm supposed to do with this? Yeah, worth all the effort because, as you say, the effort involved is immense compared to what you do now. Um, but like, it was interesting you were saying about you draw and then hopefully you get better. I've never been able to draw. Is that something that you just hold your hands up and go, no, no, you can draw? Is it something that you can slightly teach i don't know i I, for a long time i've been of the opinion that it's really more about practicing it than inborn talent i'm not not sure i really believe in inborn talent i think it's more about what you what you do with it and how if you enjoy it then you work at it and and develop um but then i don't know i do do work in a lot of schools and i've seen some kids drawings that are just like oh my god that's incredible (laughs) very very young children drawing an amazing high standard and you think well okay maybe there is such a thing as inborn (laughs) talent but I don't think it's as important as as what you do with it. Yeah, I think sort of the, the love of doing something is more important in the long run, far more important in the long run than any kind of natural gift. Because the love will carry you through the dark times, and I'm not sure sort of prodigious talent necessarily will. It's interesting that you you know you talk about when you got your first publishing job, but it's quite mm. a career that's probably I imagine quite up and down. The work comes and goes to start with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in the first in the early days of sort of taking the jump into being an illustrator like as a full-time profession yeah there were some uh, interesting years there was some jobs strange strange jobs when you're just sort of trying to get any work you can and you're any anything that people are prepared to pay you money to draw feels exciting and oh look, i'm a professional someone's paying me to do it and so you maybe your quality filter or your uh, 
I don't know, just some very well, strange well, jobs. Give us an example of a, a strange job that now you'd probably go, actually, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. There's been one of the odder ones that ended up being a huge amount more work than I thought it would was I'd sent off like some sample illustrations to like a big magazine publisher hoping to maybe get a few illustration jobs on some of the magazines that I might have been more suited for and instead I guess they just pinned them up in the staff room and I got I was commissioned to produce a comic strip for a magazine about voxels about voxel cars and customizing and modifying and upgrading your Vauxhall and I don't drive and I don't know anything about cars and so this was slightly challenging for me so I was trying to think of Vauxhall based <laughs> puns that I could base a whole... It's not the easiest word in the world is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> well I was like googling um, different makes of Vauxhalls and there was this one called the Vectra and so I thought maybe you could have one who was like a Vectra who was solving crimes called Inspector Vectra. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So did you do that? No, in the end I went with, um, there was another make called the Nova, the Vauxhall Nova. So I did uh, Super Nova, who was a Nova who could transform into a superhero car and fight crimes. <laughs> it was so stupid. It was so spectacularly stupid. But um, looking back, it was a job, wasn't it? And it, it you know, it was it, a job. it's yeah. creative still. To me, the point of that strip was it's the, it's a hilariously stupid idea it's like a little car flying around with a cape on but i've never had to go through so many revisions on a job because they kept saying oh no it's not it's not it's not quite right you know the wheel arches aren't quite flared enough or whatever i was like what i don't even know what that means and i just had to keep going back and redrawing it and making it look like a cooler and cooler Vauxhall nova because they're like, our oh, readership really cares about this stuff and I, I just have no idea what you're saying to me no it's a car in a cape it's the stupidest thing i've <laughs> The client is always right, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe in hindsight I should have passed it on to someone who knew the first thing about cars. It probably wasn't a postal order, but it was money, wasn't it? It was, it yeah. was, yeah, exactly. So you got a few jobs and you got published. So that was a major turning point for you, I imagine. The the biggest turning point, I guess, was just sort of deciding to take the jump and try and you know do this as a full-time job. I've been always drawing and making my own comics for, for my own pleasure and then I'd started to get a couple of little sort of freelance jobs here and there but it was when deciding right I'm gonna I'm gonna try and actually do this I'm gonna try and make this a full-time living that was sort of the big that's the big scary jump you know that's the the sort of defining cutoff point I guess you took the plunge which is incredibly scary but then of course you can then devote everything to doing what you yeah absolutely absolutely in a way I was sort of lucky because the decision to take the plunge was sort of made for me in that I did I had a proper job um I worked for a software company and uh, you know I was on a reasonably good salary and uh, I so I decided right, I'm going to pack this in and become an illustrator and I, I could tell I wasn't doing the work I was supposed to be doing you know <laughs> but uh, when you're getting quite a nice salary mm. and you've just bought a house and got married it's sort of it's a big leap yeah and so the, the the planned date for I'm going to just save up a bit of a buffer and then I'm going to make the leap mm. that planned date kept just sort of creeping back a month <laughs> and creeping back a month because it is a, it's a very scary one to do but fortunately uh, the company I work for went into liquidation with no notice and didn't pay us all our last month's wages and so I kind of had to get my hustle on and I also forced your hand forced my hand and made me realize well apparently the secure option isn't that secure you know apparently you can be in a very perilous position even if you think you're taking the sort of safe secure career path so you might as well just attempt to draw pictures for money and see what comes of it 
But yeah, it was sort of the kick up the ass that I needed, basically. It yeah. was, it's a very motivating factor if you, you know, you can sort of plan things and have ambitions and like, I'd love to do this for a living. I'd love to try that. But when it actually is like, I need to find some paid work or I will not be able to afford to live in this house anymore <laughs> and we won't have any food to eat. <laughs> That's, it it uh, kind of gives you some <clears throat> impetus to... It's a very strong motivating factor in my yeah. experience, yes. So you, you took the plunge and then more jobs came in. And, and when did you start? You started working for the Phoenix? Uh, yeah, well, I, so not that long after that, I guess, I started working for the comic that sort of was that existed before the Phoenix. It was kind of the precursor to the Phoenix, um, which was called the DFC, which was a very short-lived comic that not very many people read, um, hence the short-lived part but that was the first time I've worked with uh, the publisher and, and the editors there and that's that's basically who I've been working for ever since with a fallow period when that comic went away and before the phoenix came back to replace it those were the lean years those were the years of hustle and drawing strange strips for car-based special interest <laughs> magazines <laughs> apart from that I've been, I've been very lucky to be able to work with that publisher again and uh, pretty much get to draw what I want to draw and that's amazing. Make a living doing that. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of freedom. But you also you work with other people when you're writing for the Phoenix and drawing for the Phoenix. More collaborative. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, one of the stories we did early on was a strip called The Pirates of Pangaea, which I sort of co-wrote with my friend Daniel Hartwell, and uh, I drew that one. And then more recently than that, I've written a series, sort of supernatural, spooky, Cornish-based series. The first book was called Tamsin and the Deep, and that's uh, I write the stories for that. And a friend of mine, Kate Brown, who's an amazing, amazing artist, she draws that one. But at the moment, I'm pretty much back to doing everything myself, which is sort of less fun in a way, because you only ever end up with your own ideas, <laughs> and you don't ever get sort of amazed and surprised in the way that you do working with other people. When you work with someone else, though, when you do the the writing, and then you've got someone else doing the drawing, do you just do all the writing, or do you have to kind of do oh, well, I mean, it? there's lots of different ways of working with comics, that's the thing. It's, it's a very collaborative medium when you are working with other creators, and I think there are many different ways working it you can have a sort of way you just write a sort of very rough outline of what's going to happen and give uh, the artist much more sort of storytelling responsibility or you can have very sort of top-down micromanaged incredibly detailed scripts that you expect the artist to just sort of follow slavishly um, and there's a whole spectrum in between and all sorts of ways of doing things and there's no wrong way um it's it's just a question of sort of finding what's the best fit and writing and, and drawing for the phoenix do you find there's sometimes pressure because you've got to get something out every week oh I can't think of any new ideas this week or you've always I'm sure you've always got loads of ideas but there's that sort of you know every week week in week out yeah no I mean it's uh, yeah there's there's always pressure but that's good because pressure means well it's much like the pressure of needing to you know pay your mortgage and feed your family the pressure of having pages to fill and a weekly deadline focuses the mind wonderfully you mm. know it suits me very well because I think if left to my own devices, I would never finish anything. I'd always be tinkering away and, you know, <laughs> polishing up and just getting things perfect and then getting fed up with them and starting again. And, so you're a bit of a perfectionist? A uh, little bit, yeah. Or what used to be, but I think I'm much less so now just from the sheer sort of pragmatic yeah. practicalities of having four pages a week to fill and having to hit a certain number of pages to make enough money to, you know continue to live <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty amazing the phoenix is is so popular because you know so many things vying for kids attention these days mm. and it's just so lovely that they can pick up a comic and and love all the characters it, it, it's just not something that seems to be 
losing popularity at all. It's it's no, no, it's, it's growing, lovely, growing it's a, still yeah. year on year, and, and long may it continue to do so. I think a lot of parents are like, oh, it's a welcome break from the screens. It's good stuff. I think it's. I think it just shows, you know, what a powerful medium comics is, and particularly for kids around that age, because it's stories. Stories are. I don't think that's controversial to say that story is a very important part of our culture and narrative is in a hugely important part of who we are and how we think about the world. And a weekly comic for kids is just such a beautiful format because if they're not super confident readers yet, that's fine. There's something here for you. There's, there's these amazing stories and characters and action that you can follow what's happening and you can be really invested in it and laugh at it and you know see the cool stuff happening and that will lead you into the words and it's your path into reading, um, which is a beautiful thing about comics. But also specifically the weekly format, it's got that beautiful thing of making you wait to find out what happens next. And that's just a, you know, the cliffhanger is a beautiful, beautiful thing in storytelling, making making people wait for a bit because it engages you so much more. And again, particularly at that age, because you're, you know, you just need to know what happens next. You just want more of, you want to live in that world more. Mm. And so your imagination will just continue to live in that world for the week. We'll continue to sort of be thinking about it and be, you know investing in those characters you might go back and read your old comics you might have a go at drawing your own version of what happens next you might be just sort of talking about it with your friends or your brother and sister like thinking you know just it's a wonderful way of really engaging the imagination Mm. at that age which i think is uh it's certainly something that i got out of it when i was a kid and I, i hope that could stay getting that from from the phoenix well yeah with all the characters as well when you're coming up with a new character if you're trying to give advice to people who are doing comics themselves or coming up with characters, what makes a great character? <laughs> visually as well. Oh, visually. Yeah. Well, I think in my experience, in my limited experience, I think the important thing is to to be grounded in some kind of reality, to be based on something authentic. You know, it will make your characters ring much truer to you and that will make your characters ring much truer to other people and they feel like a, a, a real person to you at least. Mm. And then visually, yeah, visually it's just then, I don't know, it's hard to describe it. It's, if you have a good sense of who your character is, then you sort of just try and draw them until they look like who they are. You know what I mean? Until they look like, oh, that's, there they are. I can see them now, you know. And and that's the important thing, I think, is, is for it to be based in character, first and foremost. Um, like they always say that a good character should have a distinctive silhouette. You know, like if you think of Batman or mm. Bart Simpson, you know, and that, that's the thing you want a character you can recognise just from the just from the outline. And I think that's true and that's important um, for creating sort of iconic, recognisable visual uh, properties or whatever. But I think it's, it's, it's much more important really to come at it from a character first point of view, Think about your character and sort of get to know them and as I said, just draw them until you find them on the page. And with these guys, Mega Robo Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pointing at uh, my characters that are on the table here. It, yeah, I've got like a whole notebook full of attempts to draw them because I had no idea what they looked like, you know, and was sort of trying basing them on various sort of real world robots or robotics technology, or I was trying making them look more like humans. And I, d- I just sort of went through all these different variations until it started to click. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's Alex and that's Freddy. There, that's right. Yeah, I can I can see them now. You know, if you, if you have a good sense of who your characters are, you'll know you'll recognise them when you see them and talking of mega ro- mega robo <laughs> i can't say it quickly. i like to give my stories very hard to pronounce titles <laughs> mega <laughs> robo bros but do you remember that when you came up with that idea was it like a, a a moment or was it something that gradually came it was a bit of a moment yeah i gotta say it was very much drawing on <laughs> on real life it was just when my son was quite a bit younger, when he was, I don't know, like three or four or something, and he was running around the house after having watched too many old Transformers cartoons and was <laughs> pretending to be a Transformer and shooting everything with lasers, I just 
you know, suddenly thought, there, there's a story, like a little tiny kid, but who actually can shoot lasers out of his hands and just thought that idea, the sort of the terrifying, <laughs> uh, terrifying potential of that just seemed very entertaining to me. <laughs> so terrifying sort of... potential. If a character's got terrifying potential, <laughs> go with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sort of, you know, the unbridled id that is young children, if they actually had the power that they, that they have in their heads, you know what I mean? If they were the thing they're pretending to be. And when, and when you got into it, did you think at the time, get a sense, you know what, I think this is going to be pretty popular? No. Well, I, you know, you always hope so. Whatever popularity it has, and I, I hope we're only at the beginning of, in, in many ways, we're sort of quite early on in this story, mm. and um, I hope it continues to find new readers and to resonate with people. But the extent to which it has resonated with people, I think, is is to an extent just based on the extent to which people they recognize the characters and they feel real to them and they they get a sense of who they are quite quickly and i think that's comes hopefully from as i say starting in starting with something real it's it's me channeling my experiences of growing up with a phenomenally irritating little brother (laughs) (laughs) i think many people can relate to that that's the thing (laughs) (laughs) and and looking at at the book from the beginning so i'm just interested for somebody who knows not a clue how this all starts so Mm. you have the idea You've got your characters, so you draw your characters first, and then you come up with the story and and the writing. How can you just talk us through? Yeah, the so um, because this is sort of exists now as a series of graphic novels, but it was originally and continues to be a weekly comic strip in the Phoenix. So it begins with designing your characters and sort of figuring out the broad strokes of the story. Like I've got sort of documents on on the computer somewhere that's like a sort of one page pitch to to my editors like that. So there's a story and it's the future and there's his brothers and it's Alex and Freddie and sort of like very, very broad strokes of the, the setup. And then you have to figure out how to make that work as a thing in the world, as a weekly comic strip. For this it was quite fortunate in a way and it's been a bit tricky in the long run because we sort of began without much thinking time. Like I sort of had the idea and they seemed to really like it. And then they had a, I think some other strip fell through or something and they had like, could you maybe like do some quick three pages? Like, can you do five three page episodes of this idea of yours? And I was like, yeah, because I was desperate to draw it. And I was sort of ready to take a break from some other stuff I've been working on. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll draw some robots. And so it was very much sort of working it all out on the fly. And then they're like, oh, no, now we've got some slots that are two pages. Can you do a few two pages? I was like, yeah, sure. And so... And then, like, oh, we need uh, some longer ones. Can you, yeah, I can do some longer ones. So it was just really sort of playing with it and mm. doing different types of story with it, which was really good and really fun. And it meant that I got to, you know, gave me a chance to try lots of sort of different types of storytelling. And some are just very sort of short, self-contained, funny things. And some are much longer, big sort of action epic stories. But it all getting the chance to do all that with the same characters and in the same world has been really sort of the joy of the strip for me. But then it can be slightly challenging when you try and put them together into like a coherent narrative for the book because you're taking a bunch of things that some of which were intended as little two-page yeah. gag strips about farting and some of which are like, <laughs> 48 page long serious emotional action <laughs> dramas and trying to make that all feel coherent and sort of part of one story is almost makes it more complicated it can be quite complicated yeah. but i think it's in the long long run i think it's positive because life isn't one thing or the other is it life's life's all sorts of different things and some days are very different from other days and really really have that sort of range of range of tones and moods and, and feelings with the strip is is as i say that's that's the great joy of it in the long run for me and the book has won some awards and you you've won quite a few awards now and been nominated <laughs> is that somebody like you it's obviously really satisfying but it's also is it really important for someone like you to get your name known more and to help your career yeah i it's it's always nice that sort of thing and i, I think some awards are more 
like strategically career important than others because it's a comic it doesn't our, our books don't tend to get nominated for your big sort of children's publishing industry type awards they they tend to go to slightly more highfalutin or mm. traditional does that make you feel a bit quotes. sad in a way i think it's a shame in a way i think i think there's a bit of a snootiness about comics in some quarters and i think there's a bit of a snootiness about funny books in some quarters and the books that win the big children's book awards maybe don't tend to be funny books mm. or comic books mm. <laughs> and uh, i think that can be a shame because both funny books and comic books are, in my experience, some of the books that kids love most and that really connect with kids and make them love reading and will last forever, you know? Mm. There, there was one award recently that was I, was... I was sort of surprised and pleased to be nominated for because it wasn't a sort of comic-specific one and it was just a bunch of other books and I was in there for some reason and I assumed <laughs> some sort of clerical error had been made or <laughs> something. But and it was one that was voted on by school children, by, like, a school's library association and... Uh, you know, I don't want to brag, but apparently I romped it home. Fabulous. <laughs> and and, that, that's, oh, and, that's and really since then, I've been getting to go and visit lots of the schools that sort of were involved in, in that awards scheme. And it's just delightful and amazing. And seeing kids really, really connect to those characters in exactly the way I could have hoped for, you know. And then, like, kids who literally live in the area that the book's set and, like, sort of were exactly the kids I hoped would one day get to read it and sort of find a story there for them, you know. That's a, that's a really, really cool thing. And to see it sort of genuinely be loved out there in the world is, is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, because it's quite a lonely profession in a way. You're sitting at home <laughs> in your yeah. office, yeah. coming up with these ideas, thinking, is that going to work? Is that okay? And, and in a way, it's a bit like getting that postal order through the post. But in a bigger yeah, way, you're, yeah. you're getting some validation for what you're, no, it's, it's, um, you're it's, dreaming it's, about. It's really nice because when you make comics, it is, as you say, a lot of sitting on your own in a room, in your own imagination, which is nice, and that's the life I chose. But you don't even have what maybe some other people in comics comics have which is the sort of the online community or sort of the feedback from readers online which can be a good and a bad thing Mm. and in some ways I think I'm very lucky not to get that because our readers shouldn't be on Twitter yet (laughs) you know and they shouldn't be on Facebook yet and probably by the time they're old enough to be those things will be monstrously uncool anyway yeah so you don't really hear directly from readers that much if you were just in your room but by going out and visiting the schools and going to book festivals you, you get to go out and meet readers and really be sort of blown away by that validation by you know oh, this is actually really you know books and characters and stories that you love are such a huge thing you know when you're a kid it's mm. it's sort of your whole world to get to be part of that in people's lives is um you know it's an amazing thing it's it's a privilege and it's it's really cool and it, it absolutely sort of helps motivate you and keep you focused and make you want to make the best things you can make they've asked the, the best questions as well probably questions that you made you think about your characters <laughs> yeah yeah when when they're asking the questions you you hoped that they'd be asking sort of when they're like what's really going on with this character or is it is this character really whatever it may be you know when you when they're asking questions that you sort of hoped you were guiding people towards that's hugely satisfying mm. when they ask the questions that reveal they're three steps ahead of where you hope they'd be and they figured out your whole plot <laughs> that's slightly alarming but <laughs> Well, my my children, um, I don't think they're, they're ahead on the plot situation, but they the good question, I thought. what They wanted to know what was the best thing about drawing, and if you couldn't draw, what would you do instead? Oh, man. Well, I think the best thing about drawing is... <laughs> I mean, it's one of these things. If For me, it's kind of like, well, that's, a sort of, that's a tautology. The best thing about drawing is that it's drawing, and drawing is the best thing. Like, it's just, that's that's my thing. That's <laughs> what I love. It's a no-brainer. Could you imagine doing anything else, then? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and as I say, I'm, it, it took me a long time before I got to do this 
all the time and I've had uh, various real jobs in the real world and enough of them to feel grateful every single day <laughs> that I get to do this. So I'm very grateful that I get to do this. But also there are, I know there are other jobs out there that are cool jobs. Mm. And it wasn't what I was doing before I started doing this, but I did at one point sort of, I was working in IT and I learned a bit about like coding, programming, mm. and I sort of unexpectedly discovered that that was hugely fun and interesting and exciting and sort of really rewarding and satisfying to work in, which I would never have occurred to me because I assumed it would be super boring. But yeah, that, that was pretty fun. There's lots of other things I could be doing, but I'm very, very glad that I get to do this. And looking back of those pivotal moments in your career, getting that first publishing work and awards and, and thinking up Mega Robo Bros as well. Look, I said it right this time. For you, though, what else would be the major turning points? Oh, and I forgot the postal orders as well. <laughs> I think the the things that really stick out to me are, I mean, starting to do this story. That's that's maybe the point where I felt like things were clicking and like, oh, mega, I, I think Mega Rover Rose. Yeah. Sorry, again, visual gestures don't work uh, <laughs> in an audio medium. Starting to do Mega Rover Rose is when I really felt like, oh, this is actually, this is sort of coming out how I wanted it to, or this is, maybe I'm learning how to do this. But then before that, it was all just sort of the big turning points, I guess, the sort of motivation points, you know, where suddenly being unemployed and having to hustle and get a job that was a big one being brave but before that it was sort of the deciding to try was the the big one which was when I'd been sort of working in various forms of temporary employment in my early late teens early 20s early 20s I guess and you know eventually just reaching that point of this isn't this isn't the point this isn't what life's about you know sort of saved up money and I went off traveling around Australia and I went just sort of got away from it all and was out in the I like to frame it as like I went walk about but really I just went on an extended holiday <laughs> gave you a sense of perspective it gives you a bit of perspective yeah. and I was like I, if I'm just going back to more of that what's what's the point really I'm gonna I'm gonna actually really sort of take this serious I'm gonna really try and do this because it is I was always I'd be on holiday just drawing and drawing and drawing I was like mm. that's what I want to do I might as well admit that to myself and actually you know actually step up and really try and then you won't have any regrets well yes exactly well you may have some huge regrets if it doesn't go very well <laughs> but at least you've tried That's but at least thing. you've tried yes and, and if anyone's listening and they're just trying to get off the ground that maybe they just do it in their spare time what sage advice would you give them i would say that if you are trying to sort of get a creative endeavor off the ground just in your spare time then good on you for starters because it's really hard and if you are managing to produce creative work sort of in the time you have around a day job good on you because that's really hard and if you're managing to produce creative work around bringing up kids then good on you because that's really hard (laughs) and I think I remember very keenly the the sense of really wanting to do this and having no idea how to get to a place where I was doing it and just that sort of that ache you know that sort of desperation of like I just want to be doing that and I'm Mm. doing this and it's not a very nice place to be always and I think if you are managing to sort of pursue it then good on you and keep at it and don't beat yourself up if it's not going as quickly as it seems like it ought to be going Mm. it's very easy to feel frustrated and discouraged and just remember that it is really hard doing that stuff on top of on top of other responsibilities and if if you're managing to do that at all then you're, you're doing well already just, just keep at it when you can and give yourself a break when you can't. That's really brilliant inspirational advice, I reckon. And for you, what's coming next? More ideas? Top secret? Uh, films? <laughs> well, I don't like to say about that sort of thing. <laughs> don't want to well, jinx sounds, anything. Sounds intriguing. Well, mo- uh, mostly, just more more of the comic. Every week in the Phoenix, we've been working out sort of some really exciting long-range long plans for the strip. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do some things on this story that I've 
very exciting to me and mm-hmm. I've been sort of wanting to do for a long time and I've, there's some just oh, really exciting stuff coming up in the comic <laughs> so touch wood if, if you are a Phoenix reader you're in for some good times oh, that's all I'll say that's tantalising <laughs> isn't it <laughs> and uh, then I'm writing, I'm writing something else as well that's sort of related but also quite a new undertaking for me and I'm not really allowed to talk about that yet <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's okay well that's good though okay mm. Ooh, very interesting listen thank you so much for, for sharing just the story of where you've been and how you got from those postal orders to uh, <laughs> to sitting at your I, table. I was slightly wary about um, this because the name of the podcast implies that it has all gone right, and that seems very like tempting fate to well, me. Well, yeah, um, I know what you mean, but you see, it's, it's going okay. It's going okay. That's you know, touch we should, wood. It continues to go okay. <laughs> we don't want to jinx anything. It's good to speak to you, Neil. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you can keep downloading and rating and subscribing, that would be fantastic. Thanks too to my brilliant producer, Megan, and all my guests so far. There are more to come. You can follow us on Twitter at WhereGoRight for more info.